So if you want to be a great entrepreneur, you have to be a great salesperson. And so many companies are great at coming up with products and then they never make it because at the end of the day, the, the notion that if you build it, then they will come is just not true. Like if you build it, then you've built it, but then you need to figure out how to get them to come. Happy Friday and welcome to Not Boring Founders, the podcast where I talk to founders in the Not Boring portfolio and beyond about how they're building the future. As the markets have tumbled around us and VCs and public market folks have been talking about how the world is going to end, one of my favorite things to do, as it usually is, but particularly now, has been to talk to founders. Prices might be depressed for a while, they're going to continue to be layoffs, but all of the founders I talk to are focused on their long-term mission, and they don't really seem to care about what's going on in the market. If you zoom out and fast forward five, 10 years, I promise the world is going to be crazier and wilder than it is now, and this is going to be a blip in the rearview mirror. That's why I love investing in startups, and that's why I love doing Not Boring Founders, because we get to glimpse into the future by talking to the people who are building it. Today, we're talking to Sahil Mansouri, the CEO and founder of Bravado which is the largest network for sales professionals. Bravado just announced that it raised $26 million from funds, including Tiger Global, who led the round, and of course, Not Boring Capital. Bravado has built a killer business around a community of sales professionals that includes the community itself and a talent matching network that is unrivaled in the sales world. But what's really interesting to me is what comes next. Bravado is gonna build software for and by and with salespeople by working with their community to identify the products that they want and using them to distribute the software to companies around the world. It's an ambitious plan. And if everything goes just right, maybe this is how you take down a big giant company that nobody likes integrating like Salesforce. The future is bright if we can replace tools like Salesforce with better tools. Speaking of, if you're bullish about the future, do I have a sponsor for you? That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's FTXUS the sponsor of all of season two of Not Boring Founders and one of the most impressive companies in the world. I saw Anthony Scaramucci today tweet that they're going to be the Amazon of financial services, and it's hard to disagree. The company is only three years old, but this past year, FTX International raised money at a $32 billion valuation, and FTX raised $400 million at an $8 billion valuation. Its founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, is the richest 30-year-old in the world with an estimated net worth of about $22 billion. Last week, he took a 7.6% stake in Robinhood. That might have been a bit of a preview of this week's news. Just yesterday, FTX announced that they're rolling out stock trading in the app. So now, not only does FTX give you the best, cheapest, most efficient crypto trading app out there, the ones that professionals use and that you can use via the FTX app or FTX.us, you can also trade stocks in the same place. The FTX app, which was born out of the company's acquisition of Blockfolio, is the most complete crypto app that allows users to buy crypto and NFTs with no fees. You can use a crypto debit card, track your entire portfolio, and get important news updates. It's an easy place to buy crypto like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Solana, and now stocks with zero fees in a matter of minutes. And now you can buy stocks in that exact same place. This company is a juggernaut, and in a market where there's so much uncertainty right now, you want to work with the company that you have faith is going to be around for the long run. That's FTX. 
They just keep shipping, keep innovating, keep growing, and continue to build the products that their customers want. If you want to become an FTX customer, that's easy. You can go try it for yourself. Just go to your app store of choice, download the FTX app, and when you sign up, enter my code, not boring, all one word. And when you trade $10 worth of crypto, you get a free coin. You can do that or just click the link in the show notes. Thank you to FTX US for supporting conversations like this one with CEO and founder of Bravado, Sahil Mansouri. Sahil, welcome to Not Boring Founders. Thanks for having me, Matt. So I'm going to start in a place that I always like to start, which is what the world looks like in 10 years if you're wildly successful in your mission. You know, when kids are growing up, someone wants to be an astronaut, someone wants to be a firefighter. These days, I think a lot of people want to be a tech founder or, a, or an engineer. I don't know a single kid that grows up and is like, man, one day I hope I get to be a salesperson. You know, no one's got their little GI salesperson Jane character that they're running around with. And what I would love to see is a world in which uh, people aspire to be in sales. That sales is recognized as a profession that is uh, amazing, a great way to break into tech, a great way to build your career. And that sales is taught at universities, at high schools as a fundamental skill set that you need in order to be successful. Why do you think the world isn't like that today? Why do you think people underappreciate sales? I think it's stigmatized. You think about all the popular cultural references around sales. You know, you've got Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. You've got Wolf of Wall Street. You've got Boiler Room. That's what people think about when they think about sales. They think about like a bunch of dudes because always a sales dude, right? There's no women in sales. There's no minorities in sales. It's always a white dude specifically. So it's some white dude, a bunch of white dudes who are doing something dishonest, who are, who are cheating their customers, who are competing for steak knives and coffee is for closers and, you know, Matthew McConaughey pounding his chest or whatnot. I mean, that, that's the vision of sales. And people don't understand that sales is a deeply technical um, process. It's a, it's a profession that basically, if you want to work in tech, I guess you and I both are in the tech world. I'm assuming many of the people that are listening to this are in the tech world. If you want to work in tech, but you yourself are non-technical, your best bet is sales. Totally. And yet, I don't think most people understand that. I don't think most people understand that, like, if you want to work at Google or Facebook or Apple or Slack or Uber or Dropbox or pick your favorite Figma, Webflow, whatever you want, and you aren't an engineer, you should be a salesperson because every other path is going to be extremely difficult and you're not really going to make an impact because either you build the product or you sell the product. Those are the two most important things to do at any company. I think your point is super well taken. I think the other thing is, like, people don't have the chance to interact with engineers and see like how you know certainly they can be or like that they're copying and pasting code and like other stuff but everybody's been on the other side of a sales email and you're like ah damn it i'm in a drip right now like i do not want to be caught in this trip and whoever that poor person whose name is on the drip kind of bears the the brunt of that what is good like less annoying than a drip sales look like so let's come back to the original point, which is that many people have interacted with sales. I think that's a really, that's a really uh, keen point. Most people have interacted with B2C sales, right? So, so when you grow up, everybody's had the experience, especially if you're old like you and me, you've had the experience of sitting at the dining room table and you've got, you know, uh, a phone call in the middle of dinner and it's like, is, 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 is Pakey there? <laughs> and you're like, oh no, like, you know, you're like, get, 
don't ever call me again. Get off my mind, you know? And so you've interacted with B2C sales a lot, or you've, you know, been to a car a dealership and you've had like the, you know, car dealer be like, oh, well, can I get you to get, you know, get you in this car today? And, and people equivocate that to being an enterprise salesperson at Snowflake. And like, those are not the same job, yeah. right? Like being an enterprise salesperson at Snowflake is much closer to being a consultant or a partner at Bain than it is being in the car dealership world. But, but because it's all under the, the awning of sales, the, people don't understand the distinction. But to answer your question more specifically, you know, what does great sales look like? I mean, great sales is consultative. Great, a great salesperson is somebody who is able to technically understand the role that their buyer is in, understand what problems that they're facing in their day-to-day, understand how technology can be used in order to either save time, increase throughput, whatever it might be, is able to showcase how that might work in the specific context uh, of that specific buyer's department or company or what it might be. And then not only do they close the deal, but they stick around to make sure that you actually derive the benefit that they had promised up front. And then not only that, but then afterwards, make sure that you find even additional use cases and benefits beyond that and set you up for a long-term partnership where you're basically relying on this vendor and this technology in order to be more efficient or effective at your job. So is there something that you would identify or have, have someone identify in themselves that would make them potentially be a good salesperson? Like, you know, if someone was good at math and maybe like tinkering when they were a kid, maybe they'll be an engineer. What are those things that you think would make a good salesperson? Yeah, I mean, that was me. You know, I was good at math and I was good at tinkering. I took every AP physics, chem, you know, bio, calc, et cetera, et cetera. I, I got into Stanford and Harvard for, for law, for medicine. I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to do, you know. I just, so I just applied for a lot of shit and I got into all of it. <laughs> and then I showed up and I didn't like any of it. Cause I was like, wait, this is like years of schooling. And I, I like to actually do shit. I think the, the defining characteristic of some of people who are in sales is they tend to be impatient. They tend to seek a, a career that's fast paced. That's competitive. They tend to love people. You got to like, yeah. people. if you don't like people, then sales is not for you. And you have to love technology. Like if you're not deeply technical, like once upon a time, sales used to be you know, the relationship salesperson. You know what I'm talking about? Like the person who would remember your kid's birthday or the person that would show up at a little league game and invite you to go to dinner at some fancy steakhouse and have three, three martinis for lunch. Like that version of sales is dead. It's been dead for a long time, but it really died during COVID. And the world is never going to come back to this in-person like belly to belly nature that sales used to have. Today, sales is done virtually, it's done digitally. And in order to do digital sales, I think you have to be deeply technical. You have to be deeply motivated by a world in which you're working with other people. And I think like with every other job, there's some people who are naturally good at it. And there's some people who work really hard and then great, get great at it. I think there's a misconception that like some people are bored great at sales and like other people are not meant to be in sales. I know people who are extremely uh, introverted, who are amazing salespeople. I know people who used to be software engineers who have become great salespeople. So I think it kind of takes, like with every other profession, there's many different types of people that are great at sales. Yeah, I asked because I think I'm not, like I, I think I've learned that this about myself at this point is that I'm more like, good at marketing than I am at sales. And maybe there's something that I could do to, to get over that. But like, I just am not good at like making 
the ask. I don't know exactly exactly why that is, but yeah, I don't know. Just something I've realized about myself. You, on the other hand, we've gotten this far in. The traditional kind of like perception of a salesperson would be like right out the gate, you'd be like, my thing is bravado. We have not talked about bravado once this whole entire time. What is bravado? Well, I guess the the reason why I don't love to to talk about bravado is because I think no one cares, you know, <laughs> nobody cares about your shitty little startup. Like I hope that the people who listen to this, uh, get a chance to learn something about the craft of sales or get a chance to hear more about why they might consider a career in sales, especially if they're looking to break into tech or more importantly, if they're looking to start their own company, like I'll tell you something, I spent my whole career in sales and I will answer your question, I promise, but I spent, I spent my whole career in sales and I have never sold more than as the CEO of Bravado. My entire job today is sales. And if you think about like the core functions of it being a CEO, your first job as a CEO of a company is to attract, recruit, and retain great talent, right? That's your first job. If you don't have great people around you, your company ain't going nowhere. Well, recruiting is purely sales, the pure sales yep. motion. It's you, you prospect, right? You reach out to great people that you know, either through your network or through a cold outbound, you send them a message, you hopefully get them on the phone. You convince them that what you're working on is worth them leaving a 500 K job to join you for free. And then, and then you hope that, that that person sticks around long enough to make a contribution such so that inertia takes over and then they eventually stay for many years. Um, well, that's purely sales. Your next job is to go, go fundraise, right? You need capital for your business. Well, fundraising is purely a sales process. Yep. And then you think about pitching journalists or, you know, fancy tech influencers <laughs> like you to potentially consider investing in your inside shitty little startup. And so if you want to be a great entrepreneur, you have to be a great salesperson. And so many companies are great at coming up with products and then they never make it because at the end of the day, the, the notion that if you build it, then they will come is just not true. Like if you build it, then you've built it, but then you need to figure out how to get them to come too. And, and, and you said that you're not so sure that you're great at sales. I don't know that I buy that so much because you have done an incredible job of not just writing great content and creating it, but you've done a great job building a great business around not boring. And, and I see your ability to like monetize that business and scale it into different channels and stuff. I, I think it is one of the most important skills out there. And like, probably the thing, like at, at this point, I'm not going to be a, you know, an engineer or anything else. Like it is the thing that I want to get better at the most, I would say. And, and mm -hmm. that shows up in a bunch of different places. I'm hiring for a couple of roles now and I'm not doing outbound stuff. Like I get in my own head on like, there's probably something better for these people to do than like come work with me. Like all of those little things that I think just like kind of make me, I guess, scared and just kind of want to throw something out. If someone's really passionate and wants to join, that's on them. And I'm not, I haven't tried to convince them to do anything, which is like such a wimpy ad. Like I, I understand that this would be a cool opportunity for some people. I, I'm not that good at it and I would like to get better at it, but who knows what I'm going to do if I, if I were better at it sales but i feel like you would be i i honestly packy i think you'd be great at sales because you're easy to root for you're an earnest good human being and you have st like strong business savvy and sense and i think those are some of the core fundamentals of what excellent salespeople possess but but to answer your question which i did avoid which is what the heck is <laughs> well i was of, i was frankly uh, just i was playing the long game and just fishing for the compliment so thank you yeah, but 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 Bravado is a community and network, uh, both for people who are currently in B two B sales as well as those who aspire to get into it. And our mission is to help salespeople be successful in their careers, which has often been 
difficult because sales is often seen as coin operated and mercenary. There's this common adage that, that a lot of tech companies used to have. Hopefully the perception's changing, but it's like, oh, you just hire four salespeople and then you fire the worst two and you keep the best two. And I've never heard someone say that about engineers. Never heard someone say that about designers. Never heard someone say that about PMs. You know, it's like, oh, we got this awesome designer, this awesome PM. Like, we're going to develop that person, and we're going to think about a long horizon, and we're going to give that person a lot of equity. And then when you get salespeople on, you're like, oh, don't give them any equity. Just give them a lot of cash. And if they sell, you give them a really high quota. And if they hit their quota, then you're going to pay them a lot. And then if they don't hit their quota, then you're just going to put them on a pip and fire them. And, and so we think about sales in the long game, as you said you know, really thinking about professional development, thinking about uh, helping them find mentorship and helping them grow their careers. So how does the product manifest today? What are people signing up for when they sign up for Bravado? Yeah, so we have three core products at the company, all of which are tethered together around this idea that we're going to help salespeople build the build excellent careers. And so we have something, a community product, really similar to Stack Overflow, which obviously you know. So it's like Stack, but for sales. And it's called The War Room. And it's a, it's a refreshing alternative to LinkedIn's newsfeed, which is often filled with a lot of broetry and a lot of hustle porn and that sort of stuff. You know, the, the, the War Room is pseudonymous. And so we built it that way because we didn't want salespeople to come in and hawk their products or come in and hawk themselves as it has often ha happens, but instead it's a place where VPs of sales can come together, ask questions about what's the right way to set up a comp plan, what's the right way to do territory management, what should they do now that the economy is starting to show some signs of weakness in terms of conserving cash versus hiring for additional headcount or perhaps redoing quotas or redoing their annual plan to reflect the current reality. And then you've got a second product, which is uh, called the Portfolio just kind of like mint.com for salespeople. You know, the problem it solves is that if you want to see how good an engineer is, you can go to GitHub and you can look at, you know, the projects they've worked on. If you want to see how good a salesperson is, you go to LinkedIn and then you see them talk about themselves. And salespeople tend to be generous with themselves. So they're all hitting quota. They're all making P club, et cetera. And Bravado puts an end to that sort of, let's say, exaggeration by taking a data-driven approach for salespeople to verify their historical performance. So you can see, you know, exactly what deals the salesperson's closed in the past. You can see what the ranking was on the sales team. And it's kind of helping salespeople build a verified brag book that they can take with them from job to job so they can showcase their career accomplishments. How do they, how do, they then, do that? Like, how, so, how do you verify? Yeah, so we allow people to upload pay stubs if you want to verify compensation, upload uh, offer letters if you want to verify your base and OTE and such. And then Salesforce HubSpot reports if you want to verify your uh, deal history. Are, are there limitations on what you're able to do when you have that information? Or are you building this database of like, not just the best salespeople, but kind of like what companies have sold to who and like all of those types of things? Yeah, I mean, obviously we have to be extremely careful around privacy and things like that because the information that we're touching is sensitive and it belongs to the member, it doesn't belong to us. It's not like we're collecting this data and then holding it and warehousing it for us. So it's kind of like mint.com, if you will. Yeah. You know, it's like you know, you're touching people's finances and their transactions and very similar to mint, you know, we take security and privacy seriously. No, but what we do do with the information is we allow the salesperson to benchmark themselves over their past performance so they can see how much better they're getting at their career over time. We let them set milestones so that they can achieve and then look back and see if they've hit their goals. And then we can let them do comparisons. So similar to a credit score, 
we have something called a bravado score where you can see what your ranking is among salespeople with similar experience or those who sell a similar product. So it's kind of, it allows a salesperson to to, to basically get a sense of how well they're doing outside of their company. Because within the company, you have leaderboards yeah. and stuff, so you know where you are. But outside of the company, you often don't know how you rank uh, against your peers. And so this is and then and then the the final product we have is something called uh, bravado talent which basically just sits on top of the, the the community and the and the portfolio product and it's a way for a salesperson to find a, a great job so we help companies that are looking to hire enterprise salespeople uh, effectively recruit only those folks who have relevant experience and so if you're you know let's take an example you're, you're salesforce and you want sales reps who have sold to vps of sales or vps of marketing in uh, Chicago in the fintech industry with an average deal size of 500 to a million. Like it's really hard to get that specific on LinkedIn or on other platforms, but on Bravado, because we have the verified sales performance data, we could use that in order to uh, surface just those candidates that are, that are a good fit and then offer a more curated matching opportunity for candidates and companies to discover each other. But I think LinkedIn is doing something like $12.5 billion a year in revenue, most of which is on their recruiting. And it's not just salespeople, it's across you know all, all sorts of jobs, but huge opportunity if you can get that right and provide a better product on the sales front than, than LinkedIn. Like, how, how do you think about sizing kind of the overall opportunity and then particularly that product? Well, there's 18 million salespeople in the United States. It's the most popular job in the US, over 50 million salespeople in the world. And sales and engineering are the bulk of the difficult hires to make for, for any company. And so I would argue that a good portion of where LinkedIn's dollars go are recruiters who are reaching out to engineers and salespeople in order to try to recruit them. In terms of how I think about sizing the opportunity, look, the cost of hiring a salesperson just keeps going up and up and up. A big portion of why is because there isn't enough supply because new, really smart people don't want to get into sales for all the reasons that we talked about. And so while there's a ton of engineers that are coming out of all these top universities every year, it's not like a ton of great salespeople are coming out of Harvard and Stanford and all these other great schools. Kids that go there are like, well, I'd never get into sales. I didn't go to Stanford to become a salesperson. So you have this like in adverse selection issue in sales as well. And so the cost of hiring a single salesperson is over $20,000. And so we see the opportunity as being big, you know, it's a, it's a multi-billion dollar opportunity for sure. And then within that though, comes something really specific, which is how do we help make sure that when you get to that job, you're actually successful because the other problem back is what, as you well know, is the average tenure of a salesperson is 11 months. The average tenure of a VP of sales is 17 months which by the way is literally half of any other executive. Um, what about CMO? CMOs I think last like two days on average. <laughs> CMOs last uh, until anything goes wrong in the company and then the CMO is gone. I don't know the exact uh, stats that you're getting on the two day front, but from the last time that I saw where execs are at, I think the CMOs on average last about three years oh, wow. per company. It's a little more than three years. Yeah, sales and sales leaders last a little less than 18 months. But CMOs are the second fastest to get fired, so you are correct on that. But then, you know, the, the last piece is that 62% of salespeople missed quota last year. And that's in 2021 when the economy is doing great. So this year is going to be much worse. And so, you know, salespeople aren't successful in their jobs. And a lot of it is because companies don't onboard properly. They don't have support. They don't have tools. And a lot of it also has to do with the fact that, like, you can't sell a shitty product. I mean, it's just really hard to do. Yeah. Trust me, I've tried. And it's been really, really hard to do. I've also sold Glassdoor. I was one of the first 20 employees there. 
that was really easy and really fun to do. And so what we're hoping to do at Bravado is to find the best companies to sell for and match them with the best salespeople on earth. It's kind of the idea behind the business. That's 62%. Like that is such a high number that it can't be, it, there has to be like some training issue, but then also people just set quotas that are too aggressive, right? Like there has to be some of that there. 62 is really high. Yeah. Well, I mean, have you ever been part of how a company sets quotas? Oh yeah. Yeah. How, how have you seen it done? I'm curious what you've seen. Well, I've worked for uh, a company that ended up failing. So we did it a few different ways. We did okay. last quarter plus X. We did, mm -hmm. here's the model that we need hit this year. And, mm -hmm. and so, I don't know, we have this many salespeople and we have budget for this many more divided by that goal, divided by that number of people. And here's the quota. And then those are kind of the, those are kind of the two, I think that we ran neither, which is the best practice. Sure. I mean, that I think, I think. Both of those I've seen and are by far the way that it's done most commonly, which is like, hey, last year we did 10 million in revenue. In order for us to raise our Series C, we're going to need to do, we're going to need to show at least 25% growth in revenue. So we're going to, we're going to raise quotas to 12.5 million for this year. And then, hey, VP of sales, go figure out how to get there. And that's how it's done. I mean, that's literally how, how it's, it, it's done in, in, in so many organizations. And then what will happen is the board comes back and says, yo, 12 and a half is not going to cut it. In order to raise a Series C, you need to at least show 50% growth in revenue. You need to get to 15. You call the VP of sales back in and you say, hey, just kidding, it's 15 because that's what our board said. Go figure it out. And then the VP of sales can't figure it out because there was no, there was no backing into that <laughs> yep. number that had no reflection on what the average deal was. It had no reflection on how many competitors there were, what the TAM looked like, how many leads were coming in, what your conversion percentage was. There was no math behind it. It was literally someone just built a model in Excel and then tried to tried to say, okay, well, I'm just going to like take this number and multiply it by a higher percentage. And then that's somehow how we're going to hit quota. And then what happens is the VP of sales gets fired. And then the CEO goes to the board and says, hey, you know, we just made the wrong hire there. <laughs> VP of sales wasn't able to figure it out. And so instead we're bringing this other person who's got 10 years more experience and that person's going to figure it out. And then that's how we end up with the same old boys club in sales where the same VPs keep getting passed around every company in eight, if, you know, 18 to 24 month cycles because everybody eventually just blames the VP of sales for missing quota, despite the fact that I don't understand how it's not every single employee, especially the CEO's job to hit revenue targets. Like if you're the CEO of a company and you miss revenue targets, you're the one who should be on the hot seat, not the VP of sales, because you're the one who signed up for that number. You're the one who pitched that to the board. It's not the VP of sales that came up with that, you know? Amen. Yeah, I have seen that story play out a few different times. And it's, it's, I was going to be like, I've seen that story play out. I mean, we have 200,000 salespeople on Bravado and roughly 20%, 15, 20% of them are VPs of sales. So we've got like 30 to 40,000 VPs of sales that are on the network. And I probably see that story play out three to five times a week in our forums. And then, and then during annual planning, like 25 times a day. But like, literally, I see every company is, is kind of doing this. And then the only thing that really kind of works is you either build Webflow, where the company and the product is like so awesome that like it blows everything out of the water, or you end up being one of Webflow's like 20 competitors that didn't make it. And then it's the VP of sales that gets fired. Makes a ton of sense. So there's a few different things that that I liked about Verado and and attracted me. One is I think just kind of celebrating this role that is so crucially important to companies. And I think companies just die early by not having this in place and then well thought out. Another is if you're 
arc that you've had and like the fact that you just kept iterating until you hit something that has like really, really been working. And then a third is where you're going on the product side. So can you talk about points two and three, just what the history of the company is and then where this goes? That's not intuitive, but when you hear it, you're like, oh yeah, of course, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, in terms of transparently sharing the journey of building a startup, I would say that we basically failed over and over and over again as we struggled to understand what we could build that could actually help salespeople be successful in their career. You know, I started out with a perspective of having been in sales for, you know, 12, 13 years. So I'd seen it firsthand, but trying to build something for quote unquote salespeople is actually the wrong way of thinking about it. I mean, again, there's 18 million salespeople in the United States, 6 million of which are selling B2B enterprise tech software. Like it's, it's one of the fastest growing labor marketplaces in the world. And so you're, you're talking about a category that, that it's, it's a little bloated to be like, you know, what am I going to build for 6 million people that sell? There's a sales rep that sells Yelp and they're selling $100 a month advertising solutions. And then there's a sales rep that, you know, is selling Caldera or Snowflake or ServiceNow. And they're selling EMC and selling millions of dollars per deals. And so those people are fundamentally different in different roles. And so we had to really get specific. I think my first crack at it, the biggest thing we failed at was not getting hyper-specific with the persona, really understanding what each of those distinct people needed. You've got you know, SDRs who it's their first day in sales. You've got VPs of sales, their 30th year in sales and 10th company. And like, how do you build for all of them? And so it took a lot of work in order to really understand how we could build a community that supported all of those people and their distinct journeys that they were going through in their career. To answer your other question, which is around, you know, what it is that, that, that we're building next. I spent my entire career in enterprise SaaS sales. And I always was there early. I, I, I worked at one company that was over a thousand employees. And I was like, this is... And so I joined Glassdoor when I was 20. I joined Viral when I was six. I joined Sales Predict when I was four. And so I was there super, super early and was building the sales team and the motion from the ground up. And the first 20 to 100 customers are so hard to get because first of all, nobody knows your company. I, I say first 20 to 100 because the first 20 customers are easy to get because they come from your network. Yep. You know, your CEO knows someone and whatever. So you get to 10 to 20 customers, you put a big slide up, you raise a bunch of venture funding, and now all of a sudden you're off to the races. And then you start to get away from founder-led sales. It starts to get much, much, much harder. And so what I realized was every company, is their CAC is so high. And it takes forever for them to scale because you're just yet another solution in an extremely crowded market that has no differentiation. And then you've got like all these SDRs and all these AEs that are sending all these messages. And, and it's so frustrating. And so I always wanted to build the anti-SaaS SaaS company, which was this idea that we would be a SaaS provider, but we wouldn't actually build a single SaaS solution until we first acquired everyone that we wanted to be a customer onto our community first. Because if you play the tape <laughs> forward, right? So let's, let's think about how the tape evolved. So, you know, let's take Salesforce as an example. So Salesforce at some point got big enough that like pretty much every VP of sales used the Salesforce platform. So what did Salesforce do next? You know, they started building community. They hold their conference, Dreamforce, which like, you know, everybody attends one of the largest conferences in the United States. They, they have their trailblazer community. They have forums, they have events. They have their Ohana spirit because, you know, Off is brilliant at this sort of marketing. And so you basically end up you know, it's like you build a SaaS product, you scale it over a number of years, and then you build community around all these customers that you've got. And I just wanted to do the inverse of that. 
So what we started with was community. We're like, hey, we're going to get every single VP of sales, we're going to get all these sales leaders and, and sales professionals onto our platform first. And that's what took four years to build. And now that they're here, we can just roll out a series of tools that are helpful for them in their career. But rather than having to hire a massive sales team <laughs> and have to fight for attention, we can just sell directly into the community. And so when we launched our jobs product, which was targeted to help VPs of sales hire sales reps, we went from zero to four million in ARR in less than seven months. And with one salesperson, Unreal. which by the way, yeah, we signed up 40 customers and we were kind of growing rapidly from there. And I think it was a reflection of the fact that we were able to have the attention and the trust of the customer without them being a client. So, so that when we approached them, we were more of a friend that they knew and a community they were a part of. And so it was easy for them to say yes to the products that we were offering. It's so cool. So what do you have coming up next from here? You know, any, any place that people, if somebody isn't in the community and it sounds like you have kind of most of the hitters, but if someone's not in the community, where should they find you and, and why should they join? Give us the closing pitch uh, on what's next and, and why to get involved with Bravado. I don't know that it's much of a pitch. I think it's, you know, there's, there's people who are stuck in jobs that are thinking, man, you know, all these tech people, screw all the tech people. And, and they want to, and they want to find a job where you can make $200,000 in less than two years with no degree. I don't know how many jobs, you know, where you can make $200,000 a year in less than two years of experience without having even a high school diploma, but sales is one of those jobs. It is purely meritocratic. It's not that hard to break in, especially if we can help you kind of, you know, get prepped on bravado. And once you get in, you know, you have the opportunity to scale and, and, and level up your career really quickly. Sales changes people's lives. And so if that sounds like something you're interested in, bravado.co, come, come check that out. If you happen to be a sales leader or founder who's struggling to hire enterprise salespeople, feel free to hit me up. I'm just sahil.mansuri at bravado.co. You shoot me an email, I'll, I'll, I'll respond to it. Uh, and can help you find some great enterprise salespeople. Amen. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for letting me be a part of the journey. Excited to to keep this conversation going and, and watch what you come up with next. Awesome. Thanks, Packy. I really appreciate your time.